You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William. Across the border from me is the royalty of the GGTMC, the Prince of Pennsylvania, Todd. Welcome back to the show. I came from somewhere back in where's long ago. <laughs> Michael McDonald that I promised. Yeah. Getting it started right on a Sunday morning or whenever you're listening. Uh, let no man say Todd... Uh, cannot do. I mean, Michael McDonald. Um, that's amazing, man. Um, Sammy is not with us. He's actually, admittedly, uh, he's coincidentally, he's Michael McDonald's bodyguard on his um, tour. Yes, across the um, nightclubs of Bangladesh. Um, so he'll be back with us once Michael McDonald uh, packs up shop for that uh, leg of his tour. Sammy can put his third leg away and. Get back in the mix. Take it back to the streets. Take it back to the streets is right, man. I was going to sing, but I'll do <laughs> not do so um, in line with my better judgment, which I don't always exercise. Um, this week's episode is an Arrow episode, of course. Our show sponsor, Arrow Video. And forgive me, Todd, I don't remember if it was you or if it was Sammy or one of you each picked, but who programmed this episode? Um, Other than Arrow, of course. <laughs> uh, it was a combo based on uh, on what I had uh, available here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, it just was. Uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, it was just kind of mutual decision deal. Mutual masturbation. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. Who's the pivot man now? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about 1987's Creep Show Two, uh, which is interesting because. I've probably not seen this in about, well, close to 30 years, Uh, maybe about 25, 26 years, and Donnie Darko, 2001, which um, was a bit of a left field release for me from Arrow, but I guess we'll talk about that um, when we talk about the film. Uh, Again, one that I hadn't seen since it hit DVD, really. Um, Yeah, me neither. 
So we're going to be interested. I was very curious how I was going to view that film and how it would shake out in a review between us. So, yeah, that's what we're covering this week on uh, the episode. Let's hear what the prince has been watching. Uh, not really a hell of a lot. Uh, I did get to the theater to see Black Panther, uh, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, it, uh, I like that it's not your typical uh, superhero origin film. It's more the origin of a world leader. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it has the, the usual far too much really obvious CG kind of stuff in it, but I mean mm-hmm. that just comes with the territory these days, unfortunately. Uh, there's strong performances across the board. It's got some uh, great character uh, great character building. Um, the two things that kind of uh, were, di- were a disappointment, one was um, the way that they dealt with uh, Claw. Yeah. Um, I really, I think that, you know, Marvel seems to have this thing going on where they'll bring up, they'll bring in these really these great characters you're like oh my god finally and then um and then they just kind of like toss them away and they did the the same thing with um what's his name uh, baron von strucker uh yes. in, uh, in civil war they they introduced him uh at the end of one of the movies and then they just kind of like tossed him away at the beginning of civil war mm-hmm. um and the same thing here with claw i mean they had him in here he, and, and circus does a great job oh he's uh, fantastic with the with the character for for however long he's in it but then he just kind of he has sort of a, a ignominious end, I think. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that I thought that I think there was a, a missed opportunity with the Killmonger uh, character. I think that uh, he, they underutilized him uh, as far as his relationship to um, T'Challa. Yes. I think that if they had had more interaction with them before he just kind of shows up. And uh, and throws down his challenge. I think it could have been um, more uh, more interesting to see what what could have developed there. Uh, so it doesn't really kind of. It, it almost feels like the ending isn't really a hundred percent earned. I mean, it's still there. That's it, fair. You still get it, but I think it could have been a, a lot more impactful as far as the characters go. But it's still a great. Uh, it's a great first movie uh, for the character to uh, to lead. Um, and of course, you also get Mbaku, who's you know awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, of course, they dropped the uh, you know his his uh, comic book costume, but what are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh, but then, uh, yeah, no, this was uh, this was good. I was happy with it. Um, I would. Yeah. Go ahead. I would cut you off, but I'm too polite to do that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, please do. I was just gonna say. Uh, I was gonna say it, 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 it's not one of my favorites of the the Marvel universe, but it's a strong one. It's a strong sure. one. It's up there. I think that's fair. And, you know, as I get further away from the film, I think I love what the film does um, more than I love the film. Mm-hmm. I do think some of the film is a bit generic and um, oh, yeah. c- cluttered visually. Um, like I said, I really love uh, what it does and what it means, like I said, as far as representation. I do think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of great performances and. Um, chemistry building and world building, but I do feel like some of the the set pieces were very anonymous. Yes, um, very much so. The choreography was anonymous, and I do feel yeah that the build up um, to the two. I couldn't agree more with the two things you said. That is Jordan's uh, or Killmonger's um, build up towards the sort of the finale. I think they could have milked that a lot better and sort of showed two sides of the same coin. Um, and I think that yeah, um, 
circus is just fantastic and just a lot of fun. One of the more fun villains we've seen. I mean, he almost feels like, um, I don't know if it seems kind of weird, almost like a if Guy Ritchie was going to do like a South African crime film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he seems really fun in that kind of way. But yeah, I think... Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I just found that I found that he could have played... They could have done something really dynamic, keeping him uh, more active through the film. Yeah. Um, I'm trying not to give too much away, but... Of course, yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, I, I think they really could have had a much more dynamic little uh, and and interesting uh, uh, finale had they kept him around to uh, to, to do something. Uh, but I guess they wanted to spotlight the uh, the main uh, villain more, and I can understand that. But uh, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily make it for as strong a uh, uh, conflict. I think it does not. But I also wonder if some of it would have felt too hot button for them to. Possibly, Keep, possibly, but I, but I know. think that, but I think that that could have been one of the things that they could have. That was that's what I'm saying when I say missed opportunity. Yeah. You know, I think that you to, know you take it head on. Well, yeah, that's what, I mean. Yeah. Sometimes you have to you have to kind of do that sort of thing and, and deal with it uh, and just kind of be honest about you know certain things. And I get I get that that issue, but, but I mean, if you're going to be scared of that kind of thing, then maybe you shouldn't you're, be shouldn't making be. movies at all. That's right. That's right. Very fair. Very fair. Um, I went from that to Wind River, uh-huh. uh, which I liked. Uh, it was good. Um, it didn't blow my doors off, but uh, it's solid. Uh, Olsen and um, and Renner are, are good, and that they're solid little little uh, actors there. Uh, you get to see uh, Olsen uh, with a thong, so that's always good. Oh man! And uh, oh, what's the guy's name? I always forget it. Uh, do you get to guy. do you get to uh, see oh uh, Jason Momoa? No, 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 no. Uh, he's a Native American uh, guy. Gabe. Uh, oh shit! It's not gonna. Gabe Kaplan. Out. It's Gabe. I, it must be Gabe Kaplan. I wish. <laughs> I wish it was Gabe Kaplan. No, he's a he's a, a Native American actor. He's a big guy. He's he's just got one of those faces that's great, and I think he's a really strong actor, uh, and he plays a, a role in this that uh, I thought was really good. Um, but he's it's just that that's just something to point out. Sure. Uh, and you know, it's got the the great little thing that. Uh, Renner's, of course, you know, kind of a snipery hunter guy, uh, and that element uh, of it I really enjoy. Um, it, it pretty much goes the way you think it's going to go. Yeah. Um, so, and it is pretty, you know, it does have a certain brutal side to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was good, good, not great, uh, but but good, definitely worth a uh, watch. You didn't mean and, Graham Greene, did you? No, no, no. Um, Graham Greene. He was a, a, a writer, right? He was also. He's a native actor as well. He played oh, Ben okay. in Wind River. Oh, okay. He's an older gentleman now. I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm thinking of the the old. Okay. Looking up this guy, Gabe Gabe Kasdorf. Uh, Gil no. Birmingham. That's what I'm thinking of. Gil. Oh, Gilbert. You said Gabe. You threw me off, yeah, man. Threw me I, off. I thought it was Gabe. My bad. My apologies, oh. Mr. Birmingham. Uh, Gil, I would have said Gil. I don't know what I would have said. Gil Gerard or whatever. <laughs> and he's uh, uh, Birmingham is actually going to be in the uh, uh, Scalped uh, TV show. Oh, the based in the comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. Um, but he was, uh, you know, I remembered him from uh, Hell or High Water. He's uh, he's Jeff Bridges' partner. Yes, uh, that's that, right. That's why as soon as I saw his face, I'm like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? Uh, and yeah, I went back and looked and. <laughs> 
that's good old Gil. Uh, but he's a big guy, man. Holy fuck. Uh, regardless, uh, went from that to Life. Not the Eddie Murphy, uh, <laughs> Martin Lawrence film, but the uh, 2017 Hall Reynolds jam. Um, and it's another one. It's, it's okay. Uh, it is... Pretty much, I mean, if you didn't get it from the the trailers, it's pretty much an alien ripoff uh, down the line, uh, for the most part. Um, it uh, it has a well, okay. The alien is, you know, obviously CG as they always are these days. And it reminded me, and it's another one of these octopusy kind of aliens that you know they all seem to be anymore they're either spider things or octopus things because let's have a bunch of arms that we can fucking animate wrap around uh, shit and yeah yeah uh but it it kind of reminded me of I, I i don't it just and this is my mindset is that as soon as i saw it i thought of like a cross between um uh, the uh, the jellyfish uh dogara uh from toho uh, way back when and a uh, cross between that and the uh, the guys dressed up in uh, star uh, star outfits in uh, Warning from Space uh, from way back when as well. Uh, and it's just one of those things that you know, pops into my head. Yeah. Um, I did love the ending. Did you? I will say that. Mm. It has a solid ending. I like the way that it goes. I like the, the tone of it. Uh, and had it, that one also, I kind of flashed back to uh, a little bit to 20 Million Miles to Earth, the Harryhausen uh, film yeah. from way back. Oh, uh, nice. But, I mean, it, it wasn't, like, offensively bad. It's just pretty much anonymous you know exa- you know almost exactly where this thing's going uh right on through like uh, six and a half territory uh I'd go so far as yeah six and a half maybe a little bit uh, the, the hair higher hair okay. lower but in that area yeah um that's all i got brother nice yeah that's one you know man I, i've said this before on the show but i feel like in the past year i've just fallen out of a black hole as far as my awareness or familiarity with new films like Wind River I couldn't help but see in the group Life when you'd said Hall and Reynolds I knew which one you meant but I just feel like I don't have my ear to the ground at all anymore man I just you know too much too much on my plate I guess um, not to say everyone else doesn't have stuff on their plate but I guess it's what I prioritize um, and not the film isn't a priority I'm being up at five, three in the morning to do a film podcast shows that <laughs> certainly there is um priority for film but yeah man it just uh it's one of those things i gotta try to uh get my yeah, ear back to the ground that, yeah i mean it really uh, the only way that i hear about stuff is either if i happen to go to a movie and i see a trailer for it or if it comes up in like the group or something uh and i'll be like oh that looks interesting but other than that yeah i just i don't uh, and, and you know I, I can't even help it because you know i get stuff like film comment but by the time that because uh, they have they have uh, like things that are in production, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Um, but by the time I get to read it, because you know, I'm, I'm I think four years behind on my magazines at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty much useless to me. It's you know, it's either the project is dead or it already came out and went to video. So, um, so yeah, you kind of spend your time uh, dicking around on uh, new releases on Netflix to see what uh, what you need to catch up on. Right. Yeah. T- toss a bunch of chick uh, chick. Uh, stuff in a, I was gonna say chick junk, in a um, into your uh, to your watch list pile and, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then it either sits in the to watch pile or else you know whatever. No, it's true, it's true. But that's something. I, again, I feel like maybe it's a new job. I don't know. I don't have as much free alone time to kind of yeah. Yeah. you know look into that stuff because most of the time now when I'm home, I'm home with the family and 
you know, so I think that, that's probably part of it, but um, hopefully I'll get back to that. So what I've watched this week, I think I talked, did I talk about, yeah, I talked about Haunted Mansion, right? Yes. I talked about the yeah, Miss and Black Panther. Okay. Yes. So the first live action film my children ever chose to watch on their own, of their own free will, was a uh, pretty prestigious film. Um, it's the Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> and I love the film and they used to call it William would say dad can we watch the garbage boys <laughs> so I'd say yeah sure son so they wanted to rewatch it again last Sunday <laughs> and uh, I, I love this film man and it was funny it was a bit sort of kind of serendipity because I think our friend David in the group David A from Texas um, not that he uses his real last name anyway but um, I think that was playing at like the Alamo Draft House, and I would have loved to have gone to a screening of it. But um, yeah, they threw it on, and I really love it, man. I think um, it's very familiar to me. I watched it. I've watched it. It's sort of deceptive how many times I've watched it because um, it's, you know, when you know a film well, you kind of know sort of the the facial expressions and kind of the nuance of performances. I don't know if anyone's ever used the, the phrase nuance of performance with Garbage Pail Kids before, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I quite like it. I think it's fun, and uh, I, I like that my kids, now that they're getting older, William, they're really starting to pull movies off the shelves and, and kind of be enchanted by what they're seeing. Um, so thank God I've kept so much physical media, but um, yeah, this was this was a fun rewatch. Okay. Um, we did Mean Girls last night, ah. which I've had on DVD forever. In fact, it was still sealed. Um, it was one the wife and I saw in theaters when it came out. And, you know, I think, um, um, it, it's, it's still very good. I mean, for what it is, I think it's, it's a gold standard, uh, kind of teen comedy, you know, Tina Fey does a great job writing it. It feels, it feels, um, very much, you know, over the top in the way a film should, but also sort of sharp insight into high school that you know someone who has a knack for for that sort of thing would have so yeah we watched it with the we watched it as a family last night over some banana homemade banana splits and while some of the stuff i didn't feel like explaining to my kids like what a slut was or i'll say like oh it's it's you know it's a i just you know would say it's a very bad word i don't ever want to hear you use it some people use it to to degrade girls or women, you know, but stuff like that, that I guess is probably a little beyond what I'd dialogue I'd want to have with them. But I think it still holds up well. And obviously there's a good message there. Um, it's a shame about Lindsay Lohan. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. It's a real shame. Um, I said to my kids as well, it's a cautionary tale. I said the, the girl in this, I said, she's great, but you know, she got into drugs and I said her, her parents were trying to get famous as opposed to being parents. And, yeah. um, anyway, but no, it holds up really well. I think it's, it's fun. And I think everyone's having fun in the film. One performance that I'd kind of forgotten about that. I just, I got like, like the, like just not douche chills, but I got sort of chills of embarrassment watching her was, um, Amy Poehler as um, Rachel McAdams' mom. She's like the mom who tries to be cool and hip and uh, more yeah, of a yeah. friend than a mother. Yep. <laughs> and it's just, oh, God, it's so embarrassing. And again, this is interesting because much like Donnie Darko, I'm watching this film now closer in age to the parents than I am to the high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it came out, I think in 2003, I was 23 years old. So I was closer in age to the high schoolers, right? So... 
Um, very interesting. Um, what else did we watch? Uh, Blade Runner twenty. My wife wanted to watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Nice. I hadn't seen it since theaters, and uh, I think I liked it better. I didn't watch the whole thing full disclosure, but I watched a good chunk of it. I think I liked it better on a rewatch, even though it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the benefit of a large screen. I, I think sometimes expectations can really get in the way, and even though I never, very much, very much. oh yeah, and we've talked about this a lot of times with letting new releases cool off a little bit before yes. we watch them, right? But yeah. um, well, that, that's kind of the good thing about our curse, right? Mm, about stuff is that we can kind of let the hype not separate uh, from the hype a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, we totally can. Um, mixed blessing. Mixed blessing, indeed. Uh, I think this holds up really well. I allowed it to kind of wash over me more. I think it's more poignant than I'd first seen it. And, you know, again, I think that's all due to expectations. I, I'll, I'll always maintain my complete, complete adoration, man crush, um, speaking of head over heels, for Gosling. I think some people just, you know, like our friend Jakey, don't dig on him, but... And I think he's great. And I think he's almost like a... Something some people are going to throw tomatoes at me. I really feel that he's like a new age Steve McQueen in that the way he acts tends to be with economy and with facial expressions, body language, um, as opposed to a lot of dialogue, at least in some performances. I think he can also, you know, be dialogue heavy in a film and, and it work really well too. Um like uh, the nice guy was it nice guys that it was called I don't feel, I don't feel like it was uh, called nice the nice guys. guys it was nice guys so yep. I think he's got he's, I think he's just so good and yeah I love him well I think he's he's more uh, I think that McQueen was much more stoic than uh, than Goose but I get what you're saying but Goose can be stoic in certain he roles can be. he can be but he's he stoic he doesn't uh, I mean McQueen was like stoic all the time the whole way um but uh, but Goose kind of like goes up and down. I mean, he, he hits his emotional uh, his emotional peaks, and I think personally, I mean, I like I like the Baby Goose too, but I think he's one of the worst screams on film ever. Worst screams? Yeah, whenever it's, he screams. It's funny you say that it's because so I high pitched. I it's would like kind of have to agree with this his screaming. Yeah, his screaming isn't very good. It is a bit cringeworthy. I will agree with that, and I thought that when I was watching this. And there's a moment in Only God Forgives where he screams as well, which is a little bit cringeworthy. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think, again, as much as we all love um, McQueen, I think Goose is a far better actor. More diverse. Um, yeah, I can see what you're saying with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think he's, he's much more... Well, he's, he's willing to be much more diverse. He's willing to. But I think maybe that was McQueen. A different age, too. I think the stoicism... Different, age, different time. Well, it's yeah. different Hollywood, too. Uh, Different Hollywood, absolutely. These were, these were, you know, the movies that uh, McQueen was doing were as much his choice as it was the movie that they wanted to make. Precisely. Uh, so, yeah, no, I can see that, though. Cultivating an image and, yeah, like I said, different generation, which... Um, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, last one we watched. Somehow my kids have never watched um, many of the Marvel superhero films. We've been more, like, as a family into sort of the B-side stuff like Guardians and Ant-Man and... Mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok, but they've ne- they'd never seen any of the Avenger films, never seen any of the Captain America films, um, which was just ba- I've never seen any of the Iron Man films, which are all very baffling to me. So I said, guys, like, I don't know why I have to convince you of this, but they're they're pretty good. And now I just I roped them because I said, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet, this is all coming to a head here. Like, you gotta you gotta get well versed. So yeah. they said, okay, so they want to watch Captain America, and uh, I hadn't seen the first Avengers since theaters, of course, as well. 
holds up great. Um, I think that series, top to bottom, is is maybe Marvel's best franchise. Uh, yeah. I mean, Guardians yeah. is great. Um, I probably like Guardians more at sort of first blush or first glance, but I think well, I think cons- Guardians is more is more candy. It is more candy uh, than uh, than the the Captain America movies. The Captain America movies have a lot more substance to them. They do, and I think there's a diversity in um, style and approach to each entry in the franchise, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, the first yeah. one plays almost like a Spielbergy, like an Indiana Jones. I mean, obviously part of that's due to the time period, but um, yeah. the second one feels like a 70s paranoid thriller meets Michael Mann kind of shootout film. Yeah, absolutely. And the third one, I think, kind of combines all the elements from the previous two as well as, you know, um, some more... Much more full-bore Marvel. What, yeah, much more sort of... Convenient, but say much more sort of conventionally comic book, but but done well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the, fir- the first one the first one I like, don't love. Yeah. Uh, Joe Johnston, to me, has always been very... I like him... I bit think vanilla? he's always been a little too workmanlike for me. He is. I think that's a fair statement. And I think... Because he's not, he's not a great visual stylist... But he is a very efficient storyteller, uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. He knows, you know, how to tell a story. I don't want to. I don't want to say simply because that's kind of like dismissing. reductive or dismissive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he he knows how to get it done, and he knows how to get it done, you know, well, effectively, efficiently, and quickly. And you know, you don't have to have. Uh, a million drone shots, or you know, the the cameras swooping all over the place, and he understands that. And even though he yes. will do that if he needs to, that's the point. He it's when he needs to, you know, he knows what to use when he needs to use it, and I, I like that about him because uh, I know that a lot of folks go nuts over the Rocketeer. Rocketeer does not really blow me away. No way, I love it, but but teach their own. Sure, yeah. And I'd forgotten about that connection. Um, but yeah, I know. I, I think I agree with everything you said. I think, but I think in some ways, because it's sort of an old-timey Spielbergy film, in some ways, maybe not Spielbergy. It feels it feels very well. I only say that because of Indiana Jones. I feel that in that way, he is a fitting choice. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I think if I think it would have been a mistake to have he didn't. Who did direct? Who directed part two? Um, a brother. Uh, the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers. So to have him direct the second one, I think would have been a mistake. Yes, yes. So. Yeah, but uh, how about, I mean, that also has some of the best CG uh, use I've... The first one? Probably ever seen, yeah, absolutely. With the skinny Steve Rogers, I mean, come it's, on. It's pretty amazing, and my kids kind of lost their mind when, <laughs> when they, they go, that's Captain America, <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, let me tell you something, that's not what he really looks like. And I said, and then when he gets pumped up, I say he's not quite that big either, I don't think. So, um, but... Yeah, it is great CGI, and it holds up well. I mean, we're, what, like six years out now or something, or I don't know, whatever it is, and that's a lifetime in uh, in CG <laughs> years, oh, yeah. so... Yeah, but they were really impressive with that. I will say that. I, I know that I rail on CG a hell of a lot, but when it's good, I'll give it credit. Zamfir oh, agrees. Oh, Sir, who gets the square? <laughs> you know what I will say? One final interesting note, because I talk about my kids so much, and they've kind of come, become ingrained in my... my uh, consumption of film is it was very interesting for them to watch The Mist to adore Toby Jones in that. 
to see him in Captain America. Yeah. So we're might my, my wait, wait till they see him in uh, Winter Soldier. Well, that's right. And I was thinking about that. And I think it's very interesting for them now. And they've really gotten into I should say they've really gotten into watching special features now when we watch movies. Like Oh, cool. We did that with what did we do it with that we'd watched? Well, me, William and I watched the special with Howard Berger on Creepshow 2 because William mm-hmm. watched part of it with me. Well, he watched it with me, but I had him cover his eyes and fast forward through the gross, like, n- you know, the scene on the raft. Uh-huh. I fast forwarded through that. Um, we watched some of the special features on Mean Girls. Uh, the Mist, we watched a lot of special features. So um, they've become really interested in that stuff. But, yeah, just to, to kind of this... Now that they have more of an awareness and they can retain memories more, to see that you know actors are playing different roles and everything else, I think it's it's cool for them to kind of start to see body of work and they'll point out people and say, oh, he was the guy in this, or to show them our uh, <laughs> our boy uh, JD um, Glenn Turman, nice uh, in um, Gremlins, and then see him in Super Eight and. You know, see all the places these people pop up and how I'll say to them, see, this guy loved that movie. It's kind of a nod to that. And Anyway, so yeah, that's kind of cool. See their development and appreciation of film and the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's that. Um, why don't we take a short break and come back and talk about a sequel that our friend Josh Hurtado adores. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Why you gotta tell Mickey everything about us? Because I needed somebody to talk to. But you trying to make it seem like I started it. I just told the story the way it went. Michelle. What? Look, since you seem to be forgetting, I'm gonna tell you how it started from the beginning, alright? Mm-hmm. Cruising down the ab with my homeboy Boo. Laying back like Jack Mellow went to the groove. The greatest man alive was cold rock in my world. Then it rocked a little harder when I saw this fresh black girl. But hold up, I can't go out like nothing. I had to conjure up a cool way to stress. They call me ES, the overlord of fresh. I saw you in the dress and I just had to dress. My compliment came through in the clutch. She started to blush, then I knew what was up. Called the next morning, said, what'll it be? Then I end the movie, you're just chilling with me. She said, me. So I went and got the slimmy. But soon as I opened the door, she said, gimme. It was like I was a bone and she was fetching. She got a cold swallow my ones like Beauty Gretchen. Then after a couple weeks of good love of my friend, she did the dummy move. and started asking for my giving. Come around the corner looking funky fresh. This new Jack babe started popping a mess. Steady tripping. Cause I ain't calling last night. My colleague pulled it to the side said, yo, take a hike. Cause I don't need it, girl. Too many Um, we haven't discussed this. True to form. Do you want to lead on Creepshow 2, which is, of course, what we're going to talk about, or do you want me to lead on it? Uh, I could. It's fine. Okay, I'll let you roll with it. I'll synopsize it here once I make sure that we're actually recording. Because that is the plight of... The GGTMC. The GGTMC. Um, we are good. All right, so... I could probably synopsize this without IMDb, but uh, let's not. Three more bone-chilling tales, and I have to sneeze and I'm going to fight it, that include a vengeful wooden Native American, a monstrous blob in a lake, and a hitchhiker who wants revenge and will not die. Uh, direct. It's pretty accurate. 
I think it's relatively accurate. Uh, directed by Michael Gornick. That uh, Helmer extraordinaire. Um, of course, this sequel sees Romero and King further, I mean, involved in sort of writing screenplay credits, but uh, that's about it. So yes. Arrow put this one out. As we said, this is an Arrow show. Let's hear what you thought about this one on a rewatch. Uh, all right. Well, going back, I saw this in theaters um, when it came out. Did you really? And, yeah, nice. uh, absolutely. And I even used to have the one sheet of it, um, even though uh, to throw my cards on the table, I am not a fan of this film. Did um, you remember? Were you not a fan back then? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you've never been a fan of this? One. No. no. How old were you when you saw it, if I may ask? Uh, I would have been about... 14? Okay, so I was about 8. Okay. I had a more favorable memory of it than you did. Right, right. Well, I think that part of the part of the problem is that Gornick is primarily a cinematographer. He's a director of photography. And he worked with Romero a lot in that capacity. So, I mean, to have him be a director, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea, but uh, it certainly is not... Um, uh, what's, how do I want to say this? He's, I think it's he's playing out of his league, right? Like, yeah. He yeah. really well, is. I think the primary, the primary problem... Here's the thing. Um, the film... Because uh, as I was watching it, I, I kept thinking to myself, because I, you know, I, I want to like this. Of course. Uh, but I'm watching it, and I, I, I always think to myself, they are doing, they have the same elements uh, as far as, like, the old EC comics that it's yes. know, aping uh, that the first one had. It has, you know, as far as story, as far as characters, as far as, you know, the, 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 the twist endings, all that kind of shit. It has all of those same things, but it doesn't work like the first one does. And it dawned on me that the reason that that is at least this is my theory this is my working theory um, is that either Gornick was not a huge comic book reader mm-hmm. or he just didn't quite know how to translate uh, what made the EC comics and the original creep show uh, translate so well to screen and you know I, I found out that uh, number one I think that this one Lacks humor. Uh, yes, it does. The first one. Uh, Black humor. Oh yeah, uh, except for the, the hitchhiker thing, which just is—it's kind of shitty and over well, the top. Gruesome, yeah. It's is gruesome, yeah. It's gruesome and it's just kind of like um, it's battering you over the head, yeah. Uh, and the, the other thing is that it—he it, got rid of the, the stylized lighting and the comic effects that oh, yeah. Romero used in the first one, which was a huge thing and a huge mistake. I, I want to piggyback on your theory when you're done this little point here sure uh so to my mind it's it's just an anthology movie it's not really creep show yeah um and that's 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 the primary take takeaway that i get from this thing uh so go ahead i i agree with you completely i think there's a few things that are working against this film um firstly i think that as you said i don't think he had a reverence for EC Comics, uh, therefore he abandons the aesthetic that works so wonderfully. Mm-hmm. I think secondly, you also nailed it, 
it's it feels like an 80s anthology film it does not feel like creep show 2 it could, this could be called anything else yeah. it i mean it, it really just feels like an 80s anthology film yeah. um and this is a director who's way over his head. Um, you know, he, he directed four episodes of Tales from the Dark Side. And as much as I have fond recollections of Tales from the Dark Side, this quality is, is these are more Tales from the Dark Side quality than they would be uh, Creepshow quality. Yes. Yeah, right? I would agree with that statement. Yes. And I think you also get much, much more sort of inferior skill in front of the camera. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from, uh, I mean, you get um, uh, you get George Dor- Kennedy, Dorothy Lamore, George Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, you get a couple, but you don't get a lot. I mean, every so, episode of the last one had someone great. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that was that was another thing that it brought. You know, it was kind of that, um, you know, nineteen fifties uh, great actors slumming kind of quality to mm-hmm. it. Uh, that really, you know, was part of the appeal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it really I, the the key uh, for me though is that yeah, it just it completely abandoned the black humor of uh, of the the first one. Oh, uh, and it just it just lets it it you know it just lets it kind of float out there. I mean, take for example the um, the wraparound segments, the the comic. They're uh, terrible. They're the, oh my god, they're horrible. They're uh, so the cartoon, bad. The, cart- the cartoon segments almost feel like. Uh, Ralph Bakshi. Yes, yes. Uh, That's exactly. But, but not nearly as like it's just it's almost like lazy a, a, a Ralph 13 Bakshi. Year old, Thirteen year old Ralph Bakshi. It feels no. It feels it feels almost like Don Bluth doing like like yeah horror cartoony like Halloween Town. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know because it gets it gets certain pieces. I mean it gets. That's it's so bizarre because it, the characters are like EC characters, the situations are like EC situations, and I keep saying EC situations even well, though that's were, the template. Like a though. billion, there were a billion horror comics back. Sure, in the 50s. but then this is the gold standard, and this is really what sure. what keeps shows indebted to, right? So yes, yeah, but but it, it has all of those things in it. It just doesn't use them right. It it it, it's it just, just it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't allow them to be what they are it wants to put it into the mold of like you say uh, an 80s horror anthology it wants to transform EC into an 80s horror anthology rather than doing an 80s horror anthology that's EC it can't get out of its own 80s way right right like it just it just feels like it can't hearken to that period at all right exactly exactly um so getting into it uh there are the three segments uh first one is uh, obviously old chief woodenhead uh and you have uh george kennedy dorothy lamore uh doing the very saccharine sentimental uh exposition heavy kind of thing and the thing this the segment is and i mean that, that's the thing about these these kind of films is that you're always anticipating the surprise uh, and and in this one, uh, there's no surprises. You know no. exactly from if you had never seen this film, you know instantly from the way that uh, that George Kennedy treats Woodenhead how this thing's going to play out. Um, what I did think about this is that it, it could have been a great setup for a, a neo noir uh, as oh, far as yeah. the town and uh, the whole the whole situation going on there. You know, it's a dead town and uh, it looks great uh, as far as that goes. Um, the the segment is I think 
I think it's respectful of Native Americans, but very broadly so. Yeah, I would think. I, and I, again, so, and, and, and really, that's not. And I'm not saying that that's what it's. You know, obviously, that's not any intention that this thing has. To be sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really care about that, but it's still. It is. You know, I think it's very broadly respectful as far as that kind of. Thing it's well intentioned in its portrayal of natives. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah. Except for, of course, Holt McElhenney. Who's, oh man. He is a dirt bag. He is. This feels like almost like trauma, um, like trauma goons. They're, they're yeah, so yeah, it's gross. Yeah, like cigar face from fucking Toxic Avenger. Oh man. He's that level, but he loves his fucking hair, buddy. Man, oh, he loves. It looks like that hair's gonna get him pussy. It looks. It will, and it'll get him into Hollywood. It. <laughs> it will. It looks. He looks a bit like Barry Pepper in a share, a '70s share wig. I thought he looked like the Manitou from yeah. the, uh, the movie with Tony Curtis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because, um, yeah, McElhinney has that very kind of, he has a great, those great features, but they're like hard features. I love that about him. He should have been in Dick Tracy. He's probably too young. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I noticed that there is a lighting change when the uh, the bad guys show up in the store, but... It this uh, it's almost like an isolated usage of it. So uh, that's one of the examples where I say that you know that kind of thing's not used effectively. Um, oh, uh, there's the fat guy, Faxo. Can I tell you how much I I know I'm supposed to hate him, but I really hated him. Dude, him and his cackle, he's annoying and just um, so fucking gross. He's so gross, and he does that '80s like fat henchman gross thing where all he does is eat and eat yep. and eat and eat. Yep, because that's what fat guys that's do. That's what fat guys do, right? <laughs> oh, uh, I hated him so much. Yeah, yeah, you really wanted him dead. Yes. Um, the uh, the other guy, Don Harvey, was okay. Like he was kind of ha- he almost had a little bit of shading to him. He did. He had more shading than the other <laughs> ones. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that uh, Lamar and Kennedy do. You know, they they get some pretty good, great death scenes. They you know to whip out there get the acting chops going they do and um, i think that in, in spite of theirs being very sort of saccharine and sentimental i think this and this may sound silly but especially more kennedy but you know kennedy can do a heavy in a film he can do a good guy and i think this he does play the sweet old man well in the segment i mean as much as one can mm-hmm. rise to the above the material mm-hmm. you know well, yeah, no, he gives it his all. I mean, you can yeah. tell, you know, when you get when you get actors of his caliber, they're the kind of guys who, even in the the worst piece of shit, which I'm going to say this is not the worst piece of shit, but it's not a movie that is really any good. Um, you know, he, he always gives it his all. He's always professional. He always yes, he's, you know, a pro. he's he's there for the show. Yes, he's you know cashing a check, but he still does his fucking job. Uh, so you know, kudos to to guys like that. Oh yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously the story is entirely too long and drawn out. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, you know, and then I think that they, they show old Chief Woodenhead moving way too much, so it, it leaves nothing to the imagination. Uh, no atmosphere, um, really, as far as, as that's concerned. Uh, I will say this, though. I, I think that the uh, the Woodenhead uh, makeup, the suit, is, is not bad. Um, I quite like it. I think yeah. it's it's fantastic, frankly. And I think that um, um, Dan Cameron. Uh, da- uh, Greg Can? Uh, no, Greg Cannon. Dan Cameron, isn't it? Wait, what, what are we thinking of? Old Chief Woodenhead. Oh, who played him? Yeah. Oh, Dan oh, Cameron. Uh, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I exactly. think he's does a really good job in the role. Um, again, there's not a whole lot asked of him, and I would la- I would say that more than he does a good job, the effect. Lo- they, I think they do a really good job with. For me, I don't know. How did you feel about the the makeup or the prosthetics or whatever? Because I thought that looked quite good. That's one of the good things. That's one of the good things in the film. Uh, I think it's one of the strengths yeah. of the whole film, yeah, frankly. Yeah. Well, look at look at Savini's uh, Creeper. Oh man. Or the Creeper, whatever the hell he was. It's like it's, a drugstore. It's, <laughs> it's not bad. I mean, it's okay. It's, it's, it's lazy it's, and unimaginative, though. Right, but it does. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work live. That sort of a thing. It does not at all, and I think that. You know, in HD, even Old Chief Woodenhead looks pretty good. Oh yeah. Whereas yeah. the the blob has done no favors by HD. Well, I'm gonna say here, I think, and when I, when we get there, you know, as far as jumping ahead on that, uh, I think that the blob works because it looks kind of cheap. It looks so fun. It looks like, I and mean, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Old Chief Woodenhead is just it, it's uh, it's not the worst segment. Uh, in the film, but it is not the best. It's second out of three for me. Uh, it's still agree. not strong. I do think it's just way too... Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work. Uh, it's way too long. It's way too just yeah, plodding along, and then it just kind of wants to wrap up, and then it does. Uh, the raft, okay. Now we get to the one... Everybody loves the raft. That's the one that people reason. remember the most, yeah. It is, it is. Uh and that's because this one actually works. And this one is—it's basically a slasher setup. It's a bunch of jerks, you know, with one virgin. You know, they're all smoking weed on the way to the to the lake and all this shit. And you know, oh, there's the slut and there's the jock and there's the guy who's kind of like a nice guy and he wants to get in the pants of the nice girl and of all course. that kind of shit. Um, they get to the uh, the lake there and they they know the water's 45 degrees. And they still get in it, and it's like, what the fuck, man, dude? You jump in forty-five. I think they said forty-five. The, yeah, that's something. 40, your heart's gonna fucking like basically stop. Yeah. mine would. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's insane. Uh, I uh, yeah, no, that's uh, you know, the only forty-five degrees there should ever be is angles. Oh um, man, yeah. Yeah, there are. I don't know if you picked up on this. There's a lot of Cisco Kid references in this movie. I don't know why. I didn't. That is, I didn't. But there's Cisco Kid references throughout this fucking movie and there's a lot in here too um but i think that this one has it's it it's fast uh it has you know a nice little build up to the situation and then it just boom you're into it and then it's just you know countdown to see who makes it uh and i think that's really what makes it work so well is it's you know it's economical uh and it, it just lets this little situation unfold, and you kind of have to see how these characters are gonna, you know, survive or not survive. Uh, and the, the, another beauty part of it is that um, it's not afraid to to throw you a curveball as far as who you think is gonna make it, who's not. Uh, and oh, I agree. It, it does a good like, job of that. A really good job because it comes, boom! It's fast. It moves fast. It you know, it picks them off. And then it just keeps moving along. Um, it's you know it's a monster movie more than uh, more than anything else in the film really is. Uh, and like I said, I mean I think personally I think the slick works because it looks kind of cheap, and I think that that really is one of the things 
that the film gets right is that cheapness because I think that's part of what plays into uh, what makes uh, something like the original Creep Show work is that that level not necessarily that it is cheap but that it has that sort of you know we did this on a dollar fifty kind of thing um, look to it that for me it works it looks you know gross it looks like a garbage bag with some shit on it it looks like right? a garbage bag it looks like a tarp it looks like a shredded mop that's been glued back together right right but then but then old when, t-shirts but then at other times you know when it actually is moving then it's like slimy and all that stuff and and just for for me i just think that that works because it's it's simplicity itself it doesn't have to be any more than this thing that's floating around a, a raft waiting to to pick off teenagers right Right. That that's what we're, that's what works for me. I agree. Um, oh, uh, I was wondering how uh, the jock kept his uh, joints dry when he was swimming out to the raft. Like where yeah. did he fucking stash? He had that fucking. I but he, I didn't see a ziploc. He had that ziploc, man. Did he? Yeah, he had the ziploc. I didn't fucking see that. Yeah, he did. He had like, a, and he also had one of those like f- like yellow plastic tubes that lifeguards have to put stuff in, I guess, or maybe not lifeguards, but he had a couple things to keep his drugs dry. I completely missed that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, this one has you know it's you know some, a couple of nice kills, uh, a little bit of sex, and it moves fast. And then the ending uh, is you know great because it just it's another one. It's you know. You get to the end, you're like, okay, and then boom, it doesn't even wait. It doesn't wait for you to have any moment of of um, rest at the end. Uh, I don't, I don't really want to give it away for for anybody that you know hasn't seen it, obviously. But it just, you know, it just moves, it moves, it moves, it moves, it moves. And I, I think that's really the key to what keeps that one good. Because I mean, let's face it, every character in it's an asshole. So you know, you're you're dying to see them all get it. Yeah. Um, and how about uh, Deke's car has the best car battery ever dude he has the fucking radio uh, can I tell oh. you that thing lasts for three days yeah what the how the fuck uh, how does that work I'd like to know I, I'd like to know That's... I don't know because I mean even if he makes it to the car what the fuck is it going to start I don't know can I say something piggish for a moment absolutely well, well, let me say two I, things I, I know where you're going okay so the first thing one of my big gripes about um, about these films. See, when we when Creepshow won, we have characters that are unlikable, but it's almost like in an old timey CAD kind of way. Like they're still yeah. charming. Yeah. But most of the characters in these three stories are just awful and unlikable. Yes, they're nasty, selfish people. They're just and- sh- total fucking shit heels. Yeah, they're they're a little too. Yeah, I mean, because that this is the the problem that I have. Like I've been saying, is that I mean, like the the guy in uh, in uh, they're creeping up on you. E.G. Marshall is an asshole. Total but, racist scumbag. Right, but man, you want to follow him through that story. You're compelled to follow you him through that story. These guys, you just want to see them dead. It's true. And I think that that's you know that's kind of what it, I, I don't know where that line of demarcation is exactly that it gets it so wrong. Uh, whether it's because you know they're they're so unrepentantly assholeish, or that that because it's lacking in the elements, the the more stylized elements that make those 
the other kind of like hand wringing kind of jerks in the first one work so well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, and you were going to say something else. I was about to say it's odd. I can't find anything on her hardly. But the actress Jeremy Green, actress, mm-hmm. inexplicably named Jeremy Green, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Laverne. She's the one in the in the Horlicks University shirt. Uh huh. Man, she's fucking gorgeous. Oh yeah. She's gorgeous and like that. She's like a more sultry. Kind of like a Phoebe Catesy kind of like dark hair, dark eyed '80s beauty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, wish I wish she did more. I don't think she did anything else other than this film, which is uh, too bad. Not that I'm aware of. I Even on IMDb, her that. credit, they just show pictures of Daniel Beer. I think. Just <laughs> too bad. I don't think. Oh, she did Hot Shot. Oh, I have to go watch Hot Shot now. Oh, that's ironic. Her name in that is Anna Fortino, and that's my wife's uh, maiden name. <laughs> Serendipity. Yeah, no kidding. She has but a yeah, small. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, that that whole little scene there is really that's kind of one of the standouts that everybody remembers because it's it's the classic, you know, teen boy, what would you do kind of deal. But it's such a gross scene considering gross. considering what's happened. Yep. Now, I think that it's unrealistic, and it's um. Nar- not n- narrow or sort of not nearsighted um, it's kind of myopic in it's, it's um, willingness to be sleazy like mm-hmm. again we don't like characters we don't like the characters but the quote unquote nice guy yep. is he's he essentially two of his friends have died and he's he gets this girl naked and he's like you know yep he's, but the beauty uh, part the beauty part and uh, the thing that makes it work is that it that the, the way that that turns out. Yes. Because, you know, it, that's the little twist that uh, that everybody takes away from this uh, this segment. For is sure. That, that scene there and how it turns. And that's what we're... Because, I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be the nice guy and he turns out to be as big a douche as anybody else. He, yeah, well, he totally does. He totally... In, in fact, he totally does right up until the very end. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, but no, I think that's the strength of this one. The creature looks dreadful to me. Dreadful. As, <laughs> as much as it works for you, it doesn't work for me. But I do love that it... Because I'd forgotten the order of death with this one. Um, I think I, I thought I'd remembered the final. But in terms of... They, they sort of... They, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it. But, um, yeah, they, they play with that expectation. And they, they kind of turn us on its ear. So, that was fun in that yeah, regard. Yeah, No, this one... And I think this one... This could be done again too. I think, like, in an anthology, quite well in this day and age. Yeah, I think it could absolutely. I think that the, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think that this was the only segment actually adapted from a King story. I think it was adapted from a King story. Yeah. Um, I think the other two were just you know Romero and, and Gornick and that farting around. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to the Hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for me is the fucking worst of the bunch. By far. Uh, oh my god, yeah. Uh, you get Lois Childs from Moonraker, uh, who I'll be honest, I never, I did not remember that this was her when I saw it, even though I was a big Moonraker fan way back when. Sure. Uh, and I, I don't think that uh, when I saw it again, uh, you know, for this, this, uh, the show, 
I totally did not remember seeing her tits in this, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I just saw Lois Child's tits. So, yeah. Uh, and of course, that that introduction is, of course, you know, skaggy and ugly, and it's you know, so... the guy is charging by the orgasm. Oh my uh, god! And, and she's just, you know, she's so cold about the whole thing. She's such a disgusting human being. Yeah, right. She is uh, such a gross human being, man, and. Let me just interject quickly. I want to say, in case people are wondering, I completely fast-forwarded through the the nude scene in The Raft because my son was watching with me. And uh, I uh, also was like about to fast-forward through the opening scene of this. I don't ever want to have to explain why she's giving him money and what yep. an orgasm means. Yep, yep. But anyway, not yet. Not yet. Uh, but uh, Stephen King finally, you know, he has a nice little cameo in there as a truck driver. He does, which uh, is which so is fun. Points, points for that, yeah. It's a nice little standout in it. Uh, but uh, the child's character talks to herself the whole time, <sighs> uh, and it doesn't fucking work because it's supposed to be, you know, that sort of interior monologue that you would get in the you know the the thought boxes, the, of course. the paragraphs in a comic book, and it does it work how different would this have been if they had actually had those boxes appear for her thoughts and just had her like acting in the uh, the scenes where she's doing absolutely nothing but driving agreed and even you would, know would it have worked better i don't know but it would have been closer to what the intent of the first film was yes uh it would have you know given us a little bit to do on screen rather than just watch her be miserable and driving <sighs> She is one of the most unlikable. Um, anyway, you can't really say protagonist, but leads. I mean, she is so unlikable and such a gross human being. And yeah. the weird yeah. thing that they kind of get wrong with this segment is a lot of time we've seen this set up in multiple other films, in multiple films. And I think what was it? Um, What's her name? Not Thora Birch. The other one from Amina Suvari. What was the one? I think oh, it was a Stuart uh, Gordon. Stuck. So she starts out well-intentioned in that one. Mm-hmm. And it becomes sort of, you know, that moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Uh, not dilemma. It's really not a dilemma, but that awful situation that a normal person gets thrust into. Right? And you mm-hmm. they start to go down the rabbit hole. But with this, I mean, she's just so ugly and unrepentant about everything that... And then it just gets so cartoonishly cruel and over the top. It, yes. it, it really takes you out, and it just it comes it becomes yeah really just ugly. Yeah. Oh, it does. It does. It gets ugly fast, and it stays there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, the score that they used really oh, helped. It was no. awful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this one is just it was the 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 why you would not why you would finish so fucking weak. Uh, in this film is beyond me, but they did, and it's horrible. Uh, and then, of course, you have the the finish up to the the comic or the I keep saying comic, the cartoon wraparound, mm-hmm. which is just more shit. It is more uh, shit. And you know the the whole movie. Then you know you remember that one standout because it's so shiny in this sea of dull garbage that the rest of the film is. And yep. it has a few standouts here and there. It has some. It has some worth to it here and there. Yes. Uh, but not enough to say that it's a good movie. Not enough to say that it's you know, um, in any way a classic or anything like that. No. Uh, but I mean, it, it exists. So this is what it is. I, I think there was a Creepshow three, but I heard that that's even worse than this. Oh which yeah. Is, is inconceivable, but yeah. Uh, 
I suppose anything's possible these days. Um, that's pretty much all I got on this one, brother. Yeah, okay. Well, I won't add a ton, 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 but um, Arrow, as always, does a very good job. And the shame about this is that um, if the film had have lent itself more to the EC aesthetic, um, you could have seen that blue really pop more, right? Um, yeah, which no, it looks as nice as it can. And I, I will say that this one does have some great features on it. I didn't get to really delve into them as much as I wanted to, which <laughs> that's always the case these days. But, yeah, it is. But it does have a, a nice little roster of, uh, of special features, which may help enlighten people. And, hey, it might help enlighten me as to why it, you know, it wound up being what it is, but you never know. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, it does have some nice special features, like I said, um, a lot of them, frankly. Um uh, let me get through here. Do, 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 do. So I said when I saw as a kid, um, yeah, wonky crypt keeper or sort of yeah. creep as UPS who, who driver. Who was played by Savini? Savini, just shit. Um, There's a reason Sammy hates him. It's yeah, because he was the creeper. It's true. It's true. Howard Berger, of course, did the effects, which are generally pretty solid throughout. Um, what is this? Oh, 80s porn music. Yeah. That's what I wrote. You just, yep. yeah. I mean, again, you, you want to evoke a certain feel with, with a film like this, which again they just go tone deaf '80s on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I found interesting was I wonder if this is shot in California because it feels like, um, or maybe Northern California. It just feels. It doesn't feel East Coast at all. The first no. uh, is very Southwest. Um, the second story could be southwest i mean it could be northern california but it doesn't feel like an east coast production at all no 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 very west um kennedy like i said is good as a kindly old man uh i didn't find um his wife in it uh dolores no, not dolores um dorothy, dorothy Lamar, as 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 good as i thought frankly i thought she was pretty bad well, her whole job is to give exposition and to give us a little it bit is. of an emotional kick. I mean, it I, is, but I think Kennedy does a much better job of giving us the emotional kick. Well, yeah, but I mean, he he has to have something other than the store and the chief to, for us to, to for well, the idea being for us to want to, you know, give a shit about them getting whacked. Yeah. And but I think that that's where she really comes in. She gives, she gives, she's there to give exposition on their relationship to the town and what yes and then that's pretty much it and then she's his wife yes you know she's the wife after that she is but she also feels like she can't remember her lines she delivers her lines (laughs) in a way that she's barely remembering them yeah so there's no conviction to what she's saying yeah yeah um the chief like i said really well sculpted well really well sculpted um the fat one makes shelly um of Friday Thirteenth Part Three, or what's the other one? Uh, um, the guy from uh, Texas Chainsaw. Oh, uh, oh. What's his uh, name? I can see his uh, fucking face. Oh fuck. Uh, it's not gonna come to me. Fuck. Anyway, this guy makes those. Like, I actually don't mind Shelley, but he uh, Lawrence. No, no, no. Anyway. Um, he makes those guys seem subtle, and he's just yeah, he's so gross. He's got like alphagetti stains, like a perma alphagetti stain in his mouth, and you know, it's just ridiculous. They get into some t- potato dumping and canned goods theft, and it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, he's he's the uh, uh, Franklin. Franklin, I hear Franklin, Franklin. Um, 
How about, man, that cockamamie Hollywood scheme? Like, yeah. somehow you think robbing this general store in your kind of podunk town is going to catapult you to Hollywood? Um, well, that, that your hair is going to get you a fucking job. Your hair. He goes, there's 10 million women wanting to run this hair between their legs. Oh, my God. He's so fucking vile. He is really vile. Um, he goes, $10,000. This is the keys to the city of Los Angeles. I'm like, man, are you off? That's like Dr. <laughs> Evil going, one million dollars. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. Ridiculous. It's, it's bizarre how uh, the, the level people think will uh, will satisfy them $10, for anyone. $10,000. Uh, absolutely disgusting trailer that the the fat one lives in. I hate to say oh, fat. Well, I'm just not insensitive. But well, but that's... I mean, he's he's meant to be fat, gross, so. fat, so yeah. Um, I like sort of the, the justice that gets... Uh, Handed out, but I have to. How about that nonchalant response to the scalping of a family member? Yes, that's yeah. kind of a bit whatever. I mean, I don't know, but anyway, okay. So the raft. I just I went to this. So yeah, it's so eighties. Um, uh, another outdoor one, which again felt sort of the same area. These guys were so excited to swim in forty-five degree water, which you mentioned. Well, uh, if you you did. They yeah, man, Shrivel City. Um, What's his name? Uh, I'll have to get to it. Deke? Was it Deke? Paul Satterfield? Yep. And dude in the in the banana yellow Speedo. Ah, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, rocking the Speedo. I never, I never knew anybody. Even fucking guys who were fucking workout guys. Never knew any of them that wore those fucking things. Ever. Yeah, I wear short shorts. I mean, my bathing suit's pretty short, but... I don't know. I've contemplated a Speedo, but I'm getting older now, so I can't fuck with the Speedo. And you, know, you have to be like... In my opinion, you have to be a fucking perfect physical specimen to wear a speedo. Yeah, you really do. You really and do, I, man. And, and even in the in the parts of you that are being covered. Yeah, you better really be packing yeah, heat. Yeah, you better be bringing it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned Jeremy Green. I think she's gorgeous. Uh, the color of the vomit in this whole film is really this gross kind of yellow. <laughs> yeah, it's both bile. the first years really yeah. bile. Ooh. Um. What does this say? The least amount of... I don't know what that says. Uh, how about that class ring? That, that little moment's nice. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's good. Typical that the douche is, uh, you know, has his class ring. Uh, I also was astounded and marveled at the the car battery. Yeah, right? I just, it's a fucking, Man, that thing went on and on and on. Um, doors open, so it means the interior lights are on, the music's yeah. pumping. Um simple effective setup for this one that's why again it's something like uh, what was his name there um adam green who did frozen yes yeah. kind of similar kind of thing i think you could do a nice you know 40 minute or 80 minute film with this yeah you really could um everyone you could, was, you could but i think i think that you'd really have to be pat it yeah. Yeah, maybe 80s stretching it, but 40 I think you could get away with easily. Yeah, I think you can get away with 40. I think you could do this even better in a in an anthology nowadays. Um because yes. I think you want to care about your characters a little more, right? Yeah. Um What else do we got here? Was doesn't really matter, I guess, but yeah, you talked about turning it on the expectations on their ear. Um how about like yeah, the, like the Don Bluthy kind of Bakshi animation, like 
like the heavy set bully wears spurs yep. and eyeshadow. Yep. I don't know too many suburban bullies that rock spurs and eyeshadow, but and a pompadour and a, and pompadour. a, pompadour, a pompadour with a fucking a pompadour mullet even. Yeah, it's so weird. This is like the eighties, not the fifties. Very strange. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Hitcher. Um, that's weird because two like I watched well both films this week, Donnie Darko, and the Hitcher. Both have the paperback it in them. Uh, I didn't notice the Gigolo did on the back of his bedstand, and uh, Donnie, Mrs. Darko is reading it at the beginning of Donnie Darko. So, nice. yeah, um, we don't yeah we don't like these characters at all. Like I said, she's gross. Um, the King cameo is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think there's obviously some commentary on. Um, Entitlement and yes. and you know sort of upper class sort of racism yeah, and so it's, forth. It's so and, it's so ham-handed. Oh gosh, is it flat ever? It's so flat and like this. Like it's, it's. I mean, even by horror standards, like you drive through the forest to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. It's really gross. the The guy in this, the makeup looks nasty. I mean. It's too nasty in a way, considering how fun the film wants to get. Like, it almost looks like Frank from Hellraiser. Like, it gets pretty gross. Yeah, yeah well, it's just pounded meat, right? It's pounded That's meat. That's what it looks like. Yeah, and it looks, it looks pretty, pretty, pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, good, but awful. Well, what's interesting to me is that this is, for, for as much as everybody loves the RAF segment, this is the segment that gets quoted all the fucking time. Because, thanks for the ride, lady. You know, yeah. that thing, that, this is the one that gets quoted all the time, even though it's the shittiest piece of this whole movie. Can I ask you, what were they going for with that character? Like, uh, well, like he wouldn't die. I mean, was this... Right. What were they going for with that? Well, it's just because she... It's just a revenge thing. It's a revenge beyond the grave, from beyond the grave kind of deal. Yeah, come because... up it's for, uh, for the, the callousness... And self-centered disregard the, for the female character. Yeah. yeah, but it just she disregards she disregards human life, so she gets her comeuppance because this thing will not stop until it gets her. Yeah, because I think I don't know. I, I don't think they handled it very well um, no, at all. They didn't. But anyway, those are all my well, notes. I mean, cause, cause you know, well, the other thing is that you know nothing about the hitchhiker other than that he was a hitchhiker. That's it. Period. That's it. That's so, it. So all he is is you know just a, a thing. Uh, I mean, like I said, he, he looks like a piece of meat by uh-huh. the end of it. So. Oh, totally. I mean, that's that's pretty much all he is, is carrying. Uh, no. Yeah, so. he really is. Alrighty. Uh, make or break for me is the piss poor cartoon bookends. No, uh, they're just really bad. Um, the MVT is the raft segment. Uh, I, I still like it. Uh, it's... It, it is the one that works. It's the punchiest, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and score for me is... I'm uh, going to go 5 out of 10. Okay. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's not great by any stretch. That's fair. Uh, fun fact. If you've seen Tales from the Dark Side, um, the Cat from Hell segment with Buster Poindexter was supposed to be part of this film. Ah. But nice. budgetary reasons, they had to cut it. And there was one other one they were supposed to have in here. I think uh, I like Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, better than Creepshow 2. I think I do as well. Now, I'd be curious how that holds up. The, the Gargoyle segment with Ray Don Chong and Michael uh, Remar, or James Remar, yeah. stands out in my head. The the yeah. twist on the end of that one's pretty cruel. Yeah. Um, make or break scene for me, I think 
I'm also going to go with the whole raft segment. I'm as much as I find the characters too vile. Mm-hmm. I think it's a punchy, nasty segment. The effects are good. Mm-hmm. Like the stakes are pretty high with this thing, and all bets are off as far as the pecking order. Yeah. So I like that. Um, MVT. I'm going to go with the special effects of the film. Um, you know, Lord knows I'm not going to give it to the direction, writing, score, or performances. <laughs> So the effects, it's a horror movie. I mean, we want the money shot, which is the effects, and the effects are good. Um, Save for the blob for me. But, um, yeah. Uh, My score is just a little bit higher than yours. It's a a 5.5 out of 10. Okay. Um, Yeah, there's a lot wrong with this. Um, But, you know, I mean... It a couple just of the segments are it. it's, it's like, it it's, like it. it's, the, it's the analogy that I always use. It has all the ingredients to make a quiche, and it doesn't make the quiche right. No, it doesn't. And like like you said, it just it's tone deaf as far as the the source material, and it just makes an '80s anthology is all it really yeah. does. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's Creepshow too. Uh, let's take a short break and come back and talk about Donnie Darko. We will be.
one. Uh, this was actually a very, very nice release from Arrow. Um, 15 year anniversary. So, uh, do you want to synopsize it? And I'll uh, we can. Uh, let's see. A troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes after he narrowly escapes a bizarre accident. Ooh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, that's a little... That's not quite it. It's not quite it. But, yeah. Whatever. It's more like Donnie uh, is a teenage boy who has sleepwalking issues and he begins to have visions uh, that are affecting his life, particularly after a jet fuselage lands on top of his house and where he would have been sleeping had he not been sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. That's slightly more accurate, I think. I would say so. Okay, so, Donnie Darko. Um, When I had first heard, when I first got this one from them, I thought, man, I don't know, this this seems like an odd choice. Um, it didn't really seem to fit in for me with what I thought they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you going to say? Nothing. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, this was one that I, I quite liked. A film I quite liked, I should say. Um, but as time's gone on, I think I felt a bit fatigued on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it became sort of a go-to kind of cult film for people yep. in high school, early 20s. And um, Richard Kelly as a filmmaker hasn't done a whole lot of real merit, I think, since uh, since this. Well, I think that I, for me, yeah, I, I, I was a little bit nervous to come back to it because I did like it a lot when I saw it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it just it's, it's one of those things that could go either way Agreed. Uh, on a rewatch. And I like Richard Kelly because... Uh, he is a flawed filmmaker who is incredibly ambitious. Yes. Uh, I mean, Southland Tales, I liked, uh, didn't Did love, you? didn't love, but I liked it and I liked what it, what it went for, what it was trying to do, uh, you know, on such a narrow, uh, narrow budget. And mm-hmm. that uh, for the most part, it, you know, it accomplishes up to a, a given point. It's one I think I'd like to revisit because I really I'd heard the backlash. Yeah. Oh, I and was, it got backlash. Oh man, it got worked pretty good. But I also respected that he was trying to do something different. And in spite of bracing myself uh, in the face of the backlash, I still found myself uh, as part of the course of people who found it to be a muddled, uh, arrogant mess, if ambitious mess. Um, well-intentioned, but just very self-satisfied and self-indulgent. And, you know, a lot of times filmmakers of skill, when their films misfire, they look as, look at, or sort of perceived as self-indulgent, but when they hit, they're seen as genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of, well, I'll be honest, I wasn't too excited to come back and, and watch this one, um, which I have to say, uh, upon a rewatch... I'm glad that we did because um, I think that full disclosure it does hold up quite well. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the package here first um, because much like John Michael Thor, this is a total package. Um, this is a really great box set that Arrows put out. Um, the disc itself, the, the the blue itself looks quite good. Um, the film itself when it was shot. 
Uh, obviously, it, it wasn't too grainy. It was, it's been well-preserved since then. But um, it sits inside a nice box with um, Frank the Bunny on the front. Um, it's four-disc, which is um, DVD and blue for each. Uh, with special features, you have the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Now, full disclosure, I've never actually watched the director's cut. That's what I watched for this uh, this viewing. Ah, okay, interesting, because I'd always heard, and this time it was due to time constraints, um, but I'd always heard that, and I felt like having seen Southland Tales, it confirmed the suspicion and what I'd heard about this, the critique, and that was that um, Kelly can't get out of his own way. Yeah. And he had the miracle of a great editor on Donnie Darko. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to just refrain. Um, but uh, special features to the gills. I mean, there's a great commentary with Hall and Kelly. There's uh, another one with uh, Kelly, Barrymore, Malone. A ton of people. Um, an 85-minute um, special feature on it. Uh, multiple. There's 32 minutes of deleted scenes. Um, that's just on the theatrical version. The director's cut has a commentary with Kevin Smith and Richard Kelly, a bunch of other stuff, a a production diary of an hour, um, uh, just a ton of stuff. Storyboard comparisons, music video, which is 60 minutes long. I think I got 60 seconds. I didn't watch that part. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, and then there's a really great, and the way it's put together looks that the geese agree they're coming out to represent. Um, and I changed that to battery and the smoke detector, as I'm sure everyone would be appreciative of. Um, the uh, oh, fucking geese made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> the baby goose. The baby goose, yeah. Um, Oh, uh, just the packaging is really great. They get some postcards of like uh, some hand-drawn stuff, like characters from the film and images from the film, and it's in an envelope to Mrs. Sparrow. So it's a real nice touch. Um, I think that yeah, this is and it has a poster as well, hardcover book which has a lot of stuff, essays from original releases from Hall and Kelly and other people, interview with Kelly and stuff. It's a really comprehensive set, and if you love the film. I think it's well, well, well worth your money. So. Oh my God! Yeah. 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 So let's let's get that out of the way. Now let's talk about the film, um, the cast. So the cast for this is 2001. So this is kind of a weird time for cult film in some way, and this is really our introduction to Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor, right? Uh, yeah, and Maggie. And Maggie, uh, of and course. And Jenna Malone. And Jenna Malone, for that Who, matter. To this day, I have a huge crush on. Yeah, I don't have a huge crush on her, but I do always like her in films i think she's great she's a nice sort of uh, alternative programming to some of the other young actresses of her uh, era a young douchey seth rogan (laughs) yeah yeah um drew barrymore's his fucking his pal oh that guy's gross he belongs in like uh he belongs in like uh he should have been an old chief woodenhead he should have been an old chief woodenhead or he should have been in a harmony corinne film Yes, yes. Or 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 a, a Todd Salon's film. <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of gross. Or Larry Clark. Larry Clark, yeah, one of those guys. Um, <laughs> totally. Now, Drew Barrymore's production host produced this. She's yeah. quite good in the film. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think she's and quite Noah good. Wiley. And Noah Wiley, who's really good, actually, in a small role. And it's funny, because I want to get this out of the way. 
it's been an interesting week for me in terms of the stuff I've watched and how you can see sort of the connective tissue to um, to Stranger Things. A lot of the obvious nods to Amblin and 80s stuff and Monster Squad and blah, blah, blah were always apparent. But in watching Super 8, it was very evident. In watching The Mist, it was very evident. And in watching this, it was very evident how much I think that um, Stranger Things was influenced by this. Mm. Um, I mean, this is like sort of, I think, a more mature story than that. But I think there's... Yeah, no, it has, it has, uh, it definitely has, absolutely some uh, some touchstones with this one. Yeah, which I think they're all tied into the '80s, right? But yes. um, who who have we not talked about? James Duvall, small role in here. Oh, Mary McDonnell, who I like her as an actress, but at the same time, she always has this weird, glazed, kind of just. I, I can't even explain it. It's like it's sort of quasi self-satisfied. Quasi... Yes, she's resting bitch face. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There yes. you go. She's a, she's a See, Wilkes. Up until, now, up until now, I could not define that term. So. A resting bitch face. She's a Wilkes Bar girl, eh? Is she? Yeah. She's she a Wilkesbury. Yeah. Is it Wilkesbury? Whoops. Wilkesbury. Yeah. I've never see. I've never been in the presence of a Pennsylvanian and said it out loud. So <laughs> That's okay. now I can say Wilkesbury. Lots so of she, people do it. Yeah. There you go. Makes sense. But anyway, so she's a fellow Pennsylvanian. Mm-hmm. Um, she's good. But yeah, it's weird because she does have resting bitch face. But I think she does a pretty good job. I think Holmes Osborne as the father is pretty good as well. I thought he was really good in it. He brings a lot to a lot of character to. Uh, to the role, he brings he a lot of himself. I, I, the way that he, uh, the way that he just interacts with his children, with his family, you could tell uh, the kind of person that he is. He really develops the character for how little he he is on the screen. I think one of the things Kelly does very well. I think visually he's an incredibly strong filmmaker, um, but I think he is able to do emotional shorthand and character sketches in shorthand very quickly and establish what we need to get from our characters. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that. I mean, it's great because he does, he gives us a bunch of the characters instantly at the dinner table, and boom, you get the domestic squabbles and the psych issues and all that, and it's, it comes out naturally, yeah. uh, and it gives us everything that we need to know background-wise to go forward with the characters. Yes, and what, um, what decisions they're going to make or how they're going to play into the fate or the kind of shepherding of the characters throughout the film. Yes. Um, yeah. Kind of a little bit of a master stroke to cast Jake and Maggie as siblings together. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of fun, uh, as obvious as I guess it would be in hindsight. Um, this also feels to me very John Hughes upper middle class. Yes, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, a little bit David Lynch, a little bit MVT, MVT a little bit MTV. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And, of course, you know, kind of amblin Um I think Kelly, in looking back at this, uses pop music uh, in sort of slow-mo montage moments as good as any filmmaker working. I, I mean, he really nails that. it. Nails I it. I love that. Love that. Love those scenes. Um yeah, you get those great scenes of suburbia. Yes. And it really, when he uses the slow-mo, you're really meant to take it in uh, as both a setting and as a commentary on uh, this sort of uh, 
white picket fence banality and the ennui. The, difference, the difference between yeah, and the difference between them and Donnie. Yes, uh, the disconnect, right? Yes, and I, that's really really effective in doing the, in uh, in setting that up and delivering it. It is, and I think yeah, it, it's and it, and the one in the school. Um, with Head Over Heels, Tears for Fears. I can't, I'll be honest, I can't almost not hear this song and think of this movie, even though this movie is like probably 15 or 20 years after the song. Yeah. It just, they've yeah. become intertwined for me. But um, when he first gets into the high school, it's one of the best uh, uses of pop music and montage I've seen in a film. I mean, it really is fantastic. I think yes. it gives us everything we need to know about the characters in the film, their lives that day, and otherwise. Well, yeah, it and sets it, everything up nicely. It's as good as uh, doing a little callback here. The uh, club recruitment scene from the AIM school. Yeah. School and Crosshairs. It's yeah. just as good as that. Yeah. It's it's different because it's not as choreographed for the audience. Sure. But it's still choreographed for the audience. It's mm-hmm. still you know, it's still that these people, and we get to see them all just doing their thing, and we get these uh, in slow motion. We're allowed to look at them, and you know, you get a picture of what these people are just from that. Really chew on their faces in the moment, like you said. I think really savor the moment as the. And we should say that what really enhances. But it's almost. It almost it's almost. But it's. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt. Not at all. It's, uh, it, it almost gives a voyeuristic quality to it. Well, it does give so you. It's, a bit it's almost like you're, it's almost like because it's in slow motion, you're seeing more of what these people have inside them than uh, you might normally if it was just uh, a steady cam shot through the hallways. Well, I it's think, it's think. slow motion used the right way. Yes. I mean, it's yes. really used effectively. Sometimes it's obvious that slow motion isn't always used perfectly, and it's used perfectly in this. Uh, weird, you know. Um, I want to mention him by name, Stephen Poster, cinematographer of this. Worked with Kelly on other stuff. Tremendous work. And th- that that scene is only as good as and can only be made as good as it is by his cinematography. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's he's shot a fair bit of stuff, but he doesn't seem to be in that um, that Deacons and Yanish uh, Kaminsky kind of uh, rarefied air. You know, the, but I mean, his work is first rate. It's really bizarre that he's he doesn't have more kind of calling cards uh, as far as films go. Um, like I said, he's worked quite a bit, but um, I don't know. It's weird. You know, you think of it would have more sort of prestige stuff. Um, I think that, yeah, I love how this looks. You know, as I talk about this film now, and Jake Gyllenhaal references this in his essay about the film, I still struggle and I don't claim to be anything more than a man of average intelligence um, but I still struggle to try to encapsulate all that this film is in sort of a thumbnail sketch it's difficult it is difficult and I think it does look at the the suburban disconnect um, the mystery of youth um, fate I mean look <laughs> go ahead for, for as hard sci-fi as this is uh, it yeah, it really does a fantastic balancing act between that and the uh, the emotional core of Donnie and his world and yes. uh, how he's 
dealing with his issues. So yes. I think that that's very important to what makes this work so well. At least, very much so for me, at least, because I, agree. I love I love the more cerebral elements of it. Absolutely. But at the same time, it has it has that strong emotional core that works extremely well, and Gyllenhaal really brings a lot to that. The thing that, and I'm going to say this here now, um, the thing that bothers me the most about his performance is that that the looking up from under the eyebrows giggly thing that he does yeah when he when he sees uh frank or frank, what have you when yeah. he's going into his little his little episodes sure uh that doesn't work there's outside of that outside of that i think he gives a fantastic performance yeah there's a couple that's moments certainly, it's certainly a fantastic breakthrough performance yeah go ahead sorry there's a couple moments i would agree that don't quite quite, quite. The, the one scene where he's hypnotized and he's lying on the couch Yes. That's maybe not the greatest moment in the film for him, but on the whole, I think it's a tremendous, and I think it's a layered performance. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. layered. Um, The stuff with him looking up, I like, and I'll tell you why I like it. Now, this is, again, interesting, because we talk about films sometime in the show, and and perspective, and um, when we're rewatching things, what is my perspective now watching this versus when I watched it the first time? Again, much like... um, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, anyway, something I'd watched. Oh, not Garbage Pail Kids. Something else. Anyway, how watching it now, I'm much closer in age to the parents. Um, yeah. They're probably about 10 to 15 years older than me. Whereas Donnie is probably about 17. I'm 38, so I'm 21 years removed from him. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I first seen it in 2001, I was 21. I was very close in age to Donnie. Um, so... Perspective, I think, plays a big role in, in how I'm looking at this film. And I think I focused more, or I really honed in more, or I was aware more of the disconnect. Um, and I was going somewhere else with this before I kind of got lost in my own tangent. But um, the, suburb, the suburban ennui, the disconnect. Um, oh, his performance. Um, that's where I was going to go with this. I think one of the things that I like most about his performance is... I think there's a certain level of anxiety that comes with this performance for me as a viewer and as a parent. Um, I was trying to think how I would feel about the character if I had not seen this film and I didn't know how it shook out and how I would have fear that this was going to end very badly and violently for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of the the great thing about Kelly as a director and Hall's performance is... As much as Donnie is a nice boy, he is a troubled boy. Yeah. Well, there's that edge, yeah. There's that edge. And he talks about he burned a house down, and yep. there's this defiance to authority, and the gun, and he's, yep. he's schizophrenic potential. I mean, he's got these serious mental health issues. Yeah. So. Well, it does, it does up to a point. Yeah, it does up to a point to go the, the, use the Chekhov's gun sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Chekhov's gun rule, but. Right. So, I mean, that stuff played in for me this time. Um, I think, you know, interestingly, too, a little flourish. I mean, you know, Kelly was in his 20s when he made this. It's When you see something this assured, in a way it feels first time, but it also is is much more assured and skilled than most first time films, right? Yes. Um, I like how, you know, you see everyone reading and you see stuff sprinkled throughout, like stuff that was important to him as a child. He was a big Stephen King fan. So you see, like I said, the mother reading it. You see, um, what is it, a brief history of time? and Was it a brief history yep. of time and space or time, whatever it is? Hawking, that was a big yep. influence on him. He read that book in high school. Um, so I like seeing all that. Um, 
I like uh, some of the little nods, like I said, the man in the hazmat suit or whatever, when they're, they're mm. first sort of cleaning up the debris from his house. It kind of reminiscent of everything of E.T. Like, I think yeah. he throws enough little things in here that are very small Easter eggs, but they're not... It, some filmmakers fall prey to being having their uh, sentimentality be too precious mm-hmm. in terms of inserting it in their film, whereas with him, I think he does things quickly and organically enough that it's just it's just kind of blink and you'll miss it, but when you see it, it kind of... But it's still there. It's still yeah. there. It's still there. Um, you were talking about the Tears for Fears moment. Uh, I think he does a really good job, I think an honest look at high school. Um yeah, it's cruel and it's you it's know. It's cruel. Yeah. They're shitty, sneering well, about, kids. Yeah, it's like poor Charita. Oh right? man. The Charita character, shut up and all yeah. that. Yeah, it's terrible. It's just heartbreaking. And you know, Donnie, as much as he's our protagonist, and he's more kind than not kind. Again, there's this. I think yeah, just some kids are shitty and sneering. Some are apathetic. Um, there's no white knights because everyone's kind of struggling through navigating their own waters and puberty and this every emotion and feeling being turned up to 11 when you're trying to find identity yes right yeah. so i think um kelly does a really good job in capturing that yeah. um i like the moment too where drew says i'm a bit cinematic but when she says when gentleman first comes to the class sit next to the boy you think is the cutest yeah she that that was one of the <laughs> weird things she's easily the most unconventional teacher ever she is and it can i could see her maybe it'd be grading she is a bit self-righteous but i think she's self-righteous in a way and passionate in a way that a lot of young teachers are well but she's also i mean she's almost like when she said that thing about sitting next to the boy who you find cutest and all that i just was like i i cannot think of a single teacher who would actually do that in this day and age yeah it probably wouldn't happen but i wonder if that i wonder where he got that from i think he had to even back then i mean it's just it's just one of those it just it stands out that's kind of like a sore thumb moment for me it doesn't ruin anything but i think it's very cinematic it's very obviously sort of some things just defy all sort of conventional logic or they're not realistic in any way but sure sure um, but no, I get you. I can see how that wouldn't work for you. I think some of the little throwaway lines too with the kids seem honest and kind of they're just they're sharp and there's they're funny. Like the girls are talking about when the school gets flooded and one of them says, "What are feces?" and the one girl says, "Baby mice." <laughs> just silly. well, the, the film does have a wicked sense of humor. Throughout. It does have a very wicked which sense, is, of humor. which I think is very important to kind of cushion both the edge of uh, Donnie and his his dark side for one of a better term yes and and the the more intellectual aspects on the other side i agree you know, it's very important to have that sense of humor in there not to have it overwhelm stuff uh and i think that you know kelly does a great job with uh with having it you know do so well the balance is the way to the film because otherwise it could become a bit of a joyless pretentious exercise right so i think it does do a good job and I, one thing i really liked this time around was some of the anxiety that came with the impending doom, like when we get the clock count on this, would say 24 days remain, mm-hmm. six hours remain. And you can't help but feel that anxiety a little bit. Um, you know, Donnie's sleepwalking, but I guess you could ask yourself, you know, with, again, the whole suburbia thing, isn't everyone sleepwalking? Um, yep. What else do we got here? Kind of the dark absurdity we talked about with the film. Uh, some of the stuff that's, it, it, it's almost like, Tarantino's, you know, let me tell you what Like a Virgin's really about. Well, like the whole Smurfs thing is kind of funny, and it's kind of just 
you know, teenage boys would talk about stupid shit like that. Um, Although Donnie, Donnie does take Watership down a bit too literally. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, I like the... You know who's good in the film? I mean, you want you hate her, obviously. Uh, but she's playing to a certain type. Is um, She's such an overzealous sort of religious uh, parent. Uh, yeah. Where is she here? Uh... Jolene Purdy, I think. No, no, no. That's that's Charita. Um, Beth Grant, right? Beth Grant uh, is Kitty the, Farmer. Uh, the 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 religious one. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's Beth a good Grant. character actress, actually. Yes. She's yeah. very good. Um, but of she. Her name's Kitty. Kitty, but yeah, she's. I think she's great because she is like everyone knows a few parents like that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I never. Well, I never knew anybody who was quite that tooth and claw about that kind of shit but uh, there's always there's always people who have that that sort of opinion but i mean blaming the destructors for the flooding and pornography and all this shit i mean yeah it's she's she's very clear um caricature oh she is of that sort of that sort of zealot zealot. Uh, and and that's where you know and that obviously then plays into the whole patrick swayze deal right which i love that because i think that i love that commentary because i i I definitely will not get political on this show but a lot of times when people are overzealous um they're blind about things you you will willfully turn a blind eye to things because you want things to sit to fit your narrative sure sure and and the beauty the beauty of uh of swayze is that you know his whole character is given these you know his public persona is given these uh glib facile answers to everything yes these He's, sort of uh, catchphrases rather than uh, uh, commentary sort of thing. Absolutely. And he's sort of like a love child of what was – who's the big religious guy nowadays? Um, uh, oh, that, that fucking clown with the huge church. Gosh, I uh, hate him. Joel Osteen? Guy. Yeah. There you so go. he's sort of like the love child of Joel Osteen and Anthony Robbins in some ways, right? <laughs> yeah, um, but – you know, it just yeah. But Swayze's good, and it's, again, Swayze was interesting casting because at this point Swayze wasn't doing much. Yep. So uh, Swayze's good in a small role, though. But um, but he starts if he starts off. But there are, there are times when you're you're watching him, and even though you know that it's all facade, yeah. Uh, you you there are moments where you know you get glimpses of you know a, a sort of genuine feeling for people that he seems to have it's really weird that way but sometimes that is the feeling that some of these people do have is you believe something so deeply i mean the conviction you have becomes so strong that you really believe it right and right but i'm, I'm saying he pulls it off he does pull it off he absolutely pulls it off and i think swayze unfortunately get got kind of pigeonholed as an actor he was a i think a much better act not to say he was Philip Seymour Hoffman, but um, I think he was a much more competent actor than he was given credit for sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, he was good. You know, I, I wish he had have had a more opportunity to stretch his legs. Um, again, I don't think he was as malleable as a Daniel Day-Lewis or anything, but I think he, either by choice or by limited uh, options, wasn't given as much chance to shine as maybe he could have had. Because, like I said, this is a very different role for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's quite good in it. Um, what uh, what is this? Oh, I like uh, what's her name, Kitty's line when, and someone says, "Don't you know about? Don't you? Aren't you? Don't you know who Graham Greene is?" And she goes, "Of course, I used to watch Bonanza." <laughs> I like that yeah. line. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, things. Ignorance, self satisfaction. Yes, precisely. Things aren't that simple. Fear and love. Oh, 
I like when Donnie starts to he stands up to Swayze's character and he talks about how things aren't that simple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fear and love, and you're not listening to me. And I'll tell you why I like this because I think sometimes as a parent, I've been guilty of this, and I'll be guilty of it again when my, my kids become teenagers and their problems become more complex. I think sometimes we have a tendency to distill things down to very simple right and wrong, left and white, left and right, black and white, um, and not understand the nuance or the shades of gray in any situation. Right. I try as I've gotten older to be less self-righteous, examine both sides of things, especially when it comes to my kids, because I've caught myself jumping on my kids for something but not understanding their perspective. Right. Well, well, like water, we want to choose the path of least resistance, right? Precisely. Precisely. And whether it's through not wanting to ask ourselves hard questions about our own children or just um, sort of stuck in that suburban kind of sleepwalk, I think sometimes part of the, the thing that works well, like I said about this scene at this time, is through sort of the the disconnect. Um, not to say Donnie, Donnie has a close relationship with his parents and his family, but I still think that he feels that sense of isolation and alienation that is very common in teenagers, above and beyond what, what he's uh, dealing with mentally, like his mental problems. So, But I think that he really butts up against um, Swayze because Swayze just reduces things to, like you said, these glib kind of yeah. phrases and whatnot. Um, I have to say, Noah Wiley, his role as the teacher in that scene when they talk about the wormhole in time, yep. I feel like that scene was almost lifted. Even the tone of voice he's using was lifted completely for Stranger Things when the kids are interviewing their science teacher, the AV guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. it's like beat for beat. It's unbelievable. Yep. As an aside, I love that character, and I hope he gets used more in season three because he's really great. Um, faith versus science is touched on a little bit here. Um, philosophy and science, how they're intertwined, how they're separate. You kind of touch on that. There's some very heady things for a first-time filmmaker that, again, if he was too serious and I didn't think wasn't as sharply observed, would have been fallen under the weight of his own pretentiousness. Um, the therapist in this, Donnie's therapist, um, who played his therapist in this? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, Dr. Fisher? Dr. Fisher. Was that Arthur? No, it was a woman, wasn't it? Dr. Lillian Thurman? Catherine Ross? Yeah. From The Graduate. That's right, yeah, Catherine Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stepford Wives, Butch Cassidy. I think she's... It's been a little while since I... She's really good in a small role. Mm Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, the the therapist, I think actually she genuinely cares. I mean, she's a professional, but she genuinely cares about his well-being. But they don't turn that into a whole subplot. But I think all of the acting in this film is pretty good. Like, there's no performances that leave me kind of, ooh. Like, they all feel pretty pitch perfect. Yeah. No, they all work very well. Um, what else? I think... Uh, Another thing, the CGI is a bit ropey in this. Well, yeah. But it's to be expected. Yeah. Um, the Middlesex Pavilion commercial around Halloween, even the voice that was used, it really seemed like the this, this Silver Shamrock commercial to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I couldn't help but wonder when like Donnie's got the knife and he's kind of doing the grin thing, which you hated. I think you can't, like at that point, I'm trying to, again, as a first, if I was a first-time viewer, is he going to kill everyone? What's going to happen? Like, is he going to lose it? So I really like that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's that's the thing that you're anticipating the whole film. You absolutely are. That's the thing. That's the one thing that you're anticipating the entire film. And then when when 
the act of violence does happen, of course, they twist it. They right? twist it, so, and I also think they also defy expectation in the point that makes you feel guilty in a way that a parent would feel guilty for thinking the worst of their child, not recognizing their ability to be selfless. Exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. boom. Um, I think that a lot of times when I see swearing in films, it feels lazy to me and just kind of ugly and loud for the sake of it. But the swearing in this feels organic to the teenagers because teenagers tend to talk that way. It doesn't feel screechy. It just feels organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, once kids discover the F word, I mean, come on. Oh, man. I use it every fucking, see? I use it a lot, too. When I listen back to our show, I cringe at how much I swear. Oh, dude, I I do it way too much. I can't help it. I just do it way too much. I try to help it, but I can't help it. Um I have to ask you, have you ever seen the sequel to this? Because I've never had the interest to watch it. I might go back and watch it. I have not. I have no interest in it. Yeah, I I heard it wasn't very good. Well, Kelly Kelly was or was not involved in the sequel. I I don't know. Maybe he's like a producer or something. I don't know. Yeah, probably something like that. But I, I, what was that, S. Darko? S. Darko, yeah, I think it was. Uh, No, I I haven't seen it. I've, uh, I have no real interest in it. I think that this, this in and of itself, I don't think it needs a sequel. It's not one of those things that calls out for a sequel, really. I mean, and I'm not going to, that's not, I'm I'm trying not to be dismissive of the the sequel because I haven't seen it, but, and I don't really know anything about it. But to say this about that, I think that if you were going to do a sequel, I would hope that it would explore different things than just be slavishly devoted to being a sequel to this. Agreed, but I think it's heady material, and I think you're setting... This is one of those weird films that gets a sequel that no one asked for, and it's exactly, like... Exactly, yeah. Oh, sequel to this one? Yeah. It just doesn't really seem... Like, some properties set themselves up inherently to be... You know, is sequelized a word? Yes. Okay, so yeah. sequelized, right? This does not. This feels very much like a one-and-done... No, it's, it's all... Yeah, it's all of a piece. It's, it's all one, all one piece. Thing. Um... The youth pageant stuff I like in the sense that it's um, kitty compartmentalizing because I find and I I don't mean this to you know I don't mean dance and things like that but I find pageantry mm-hmm. child pageantry to be very repulsive for me. Uh yeah. The makeup and all I just I don't like it I don't like the sexualizing of young girls and stuff but and sort of the the kind of dog and pony show of it and again I'm not talking about like ballet recitals and things like that at all. So, but just, yeah, I think the, the, just sort of compartmentalize her hypocrisy and morality, how compartmentalizing, uh, how much she compartmentalizes to the point where she comes to the door and starts lobbying about the quote unquote horrible allegations against Jim Cunningham, uh-huh. which we see time and time again, time and time again in the real world, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, and I, we get the classic line, sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> That's great. Which is great. Um, Donnie, Johnny, and... Oh, um, you know what's weird? And this is just, maybe this is just one of those weird things that I cooked up in my head and I thought sounded really like, uh, man, what a, how'd you catch that one, Will? But, um, but Richard Kelly being a kid of the 80s, I won't put, wouldn't put it past them. So Donnie's Halloween costume... It looked to me like it combined um, Johnny's Cobra Kai skeleton costume mm-hmm. with Daniel LaRusso's hooded sweatshirt that he wears to the Halloween party. <laughs> it's very possible. That might really? be the biggest reach of all time, but I feel I like it could be. maybe he's sort of showing us both well, sides of the coin. 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it would play into not, not only the uh, the whole '80s thing for Kelly, but it would you know be the duality of uh, of Donnie. Of Donnie, exactly. I can see that. Sure. So, because he's smart enough to throw. I talk about, I talk about a, a you know a esoteric kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, reference, or yeah, no, totally, right. totally. But I wouldn't put it past them. Um, and, I, and just as an aside, Halloween looks great on film here, like the the, the whole party and the kids outside and I like how he does it very cinematically um, much like when we see stuff like well any film or even again Stranger Things it's on the front of my mind um, uh, what was the the anthology that came out a few years Trick or Treat just yeah. how wonderfully cinematic Halloween looks right mm-hmm. um, Cellar Door uh, I like that whole and not to get into it too much I mean I'm sure most of our listeners have seen it but um, the whole cellar door thing uh, fate and how we interpret it how self-fulfilling is it I like how it's kind of touched yeah. on yeah yeah um, I like how sort of poetic and elegant the MTV kind of feel montage feel is at the back end of the film with like everyone just waking up or in bed well, that's a big that's a big element uh, through the film is that whole awake asleep yes. deal. Uh, that's huge in more way than one, right? Oh, Awareness, yeah. consciousness. Yep. Well, um, it starts off um, with the uh, the eyeball, and in the beginning, and the iris mm-hmm. expands, and then you hear wake up, and then you know there's the whole uh, sleepwalking thing, and. Uh, yeah, it's just it continues all the way through the, the, the film. It does. Is Donnie the only one awake? I mean, it just on and on it goes, right? Um, and I have to wonder if it was a weird science nod when the jet engine comes through like multiple floors. <laughs> you know, because like the Cold War fear, missiles and things like that. Because in, in, in Weird Science, which I just saw a really great reunion shot of the three char- the three leads from it. Yes. In our group, I think. That warmed my heart. That's my favorite 80s scene comedy. But I wonder if that was a nod to Weird Science. Um yeah, I won't say too much more. I, again, I think the selfless act at the back end of the film, I think the magnitude of it when I'd first seen the film didn't quite... Um, I didn't appreciate it as much as I did now. Um, and the whole mad world... I mean, you use Tears for Fears once. You think you can go back to the well, but I somehow think... And I don't like... I, and unfortunately, I think this use and this remake of that song is so perfect. Yeah. But... The downfall to it being so perfect is every dickhead that made a film afterwards put a slowed down version of a song in their trailer, and I want to yeah. choke the life out of them. I hate that shit. Oh, I it's hate... gotten even more prevalent. I fucking it oh just, man, I hate the slowed down remake song. You do it in horror movies a lot. Yep. It drives me up the wall because this one did it so well that everyone, every motherfucker, had to get on that train. Yep. So. Anyway, the last note I want to say is I think that adolescence, as Kelly sees it, isn't really, and much like the film, isn't full of answers, but it's full of feelings and emotions and moments. And I guess how we filter those, how we process those is a big part of this film. And it's, uh, yeah, I think that there's not a lot of answers in this film, but then again, our our youth and our life doesn't always have a lot of answers, right? So we got to go on fate and what we believe is fate and faith. So, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, 
I honestly do not have a ton more to add. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that in this film, it starts off with that apocalyptic prophecy, right? And mm-hmm. we take it seriously because uh, everyone else in the film is asleep. You know, we get back to that thing, mm-hmm. the whole awake asleep thing. Um the uh, the movie, like you were saying, it deals with happenstance and fate. And I, and I always think of, when I think of a film like this, I, th- I always tend to refer back to the story uh, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Um, because it just is the classic uh, form for this sort of uh, a story in the way that it plays out. Not necessarily the same, but uh, in a very, very similar way. Um, I think that this has, the, the film has one of the more most well more interesting uses of time travel in film that i've seen absolutely uh, and certainly you know the the theories that it puts out there um you could spend as much time dwelling on that as you can on on anything else that goes on in the movie uh you know obviously donnie can't take control of his life uh that's the big problem that he's having for me at least i think that that's um it's the, uh, the running thing throughout the whole film he doesn't you know he's not in control he's not in control of uh, he's not in control of his life his fate his, uh, his circumstances his nothing is is, uh, is within his control and very much that's you know teenage life right you feel like yeah. you're out of control you feel like your body's fucking you know revolting against you all that kind of shit you Absolutely. got hair where you never had hair before all that kind of thing um <laughs> Maybe on the palms of your hands. Uh, <laughs> I would have had but, it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, all in all, the, it's a it's a very well constructed, stylishly made film. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think is interesting to look at, it's just just this is one of those things. It's like the the uh, those Russian nesting dolls. The yes. The, I can't think of the fucking matryoshkas, matryoshkas. Oh, like babushkas? No, that's no, no, not no. It. The, uh, it has it, there's an actual name for it, but they, everybody calls them Russian nesting. Petrushka? No, I know the one you mean. I know uh, what you mean. Russian nesting. We'll just say. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I, I thought that another way that you could look at it is that you know it, it, the entirety of this could be in Donnie's head. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's just you know it, it's there's there's so many things that you can look at and dwell on in the film. And I think that's part of what, what makes it sustain uh, its quality over the years is that it's, it, it, and I, I think I said this before, is that, you know, it, it's giving you all these cerebral things that you could, you know, sit there and dwell on. And then at the same time, it's giving you all of these emotional things. And then it's giving you a little bit of humor. And it's giving, and so, it, it, you know, it, while you're while you're busy thinking about these, like, really heady kind of, uh, heavy science sort of topics, um, and th- but they're not they're not like put they're not um, they're not presented in a way that's that's uh, you know putting you off or or, or, or dry or heavy or, or anything. yeah uh, but you know you you get it enough that you can uh, you can you know follow along and you can you know go from there on your own but then uh, it's the other side is you know the, you get the human side so while you, while you're thinking of this one thing then you get a little bit of this and so it, it really really balances it out nicely and then when it's done you still have a lot that you could chew on and you could you could dwell on you could talk about this film and and it, the the details of the all of its intricacies for days probably uh, 
not that we're going to do that, but um, we could. We could. You could. If, I mean, if you if you seriously sat down and and wrote it out and dissected this film, you could. You would have tons of material to absolutely to go off of. It. And I'm sure that there are people on the internet who have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the one last uh, thing that I have here is that you get that uh, Stallonean Swayze portrait in his house. Oh man, I forgot. To, my note was that. Uh, Swayze portrait. Yeah, man. I I don't know yeah. how I I wrote that down, but it's I got Pierce Stallone. It's so amazing. <laughs> so. But amazing. yeah, no, I I love the, I I I really yeah I'm I'm happy to say that coming back to it, uh, a much older person than when I saw it originally, uh, it still works in spades for me. Um, uh, and I would you know I'm not against uh, further rewatches. Because now I know that this thing has uh, has the chops that it uh, that I thought it did back then. It wasn't just my um, sort of uh, youthful naivete of uh, of being oh look at how cool this is. Mm-hmm. So, that's mm-hmm. all I got, man. Uh, yeah, now I really haven't got. We've pretty much covered uh, everything that I could think of. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Catherine Ross. Fittingly, we talked about her in the Stepford Wives. She was like the lead, so it's kind of really like a nice little Easter egg of casting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of what Stepford Wives was. But anyway, um, okay, so make her break, man. Um, I, I got to go with that Tears for Fears scene, man. The head over heels, like it's not essential. Uh, it's essential in that it gives us a snapshot into the world of Donnie Darko, where he spends most of his time, and the characters that are going to inhabit the film. It works just as it's on its own as style and just you know Fincher kind of really great glossy filmmaking. Um, it just it, it nails it, man. It's so good, um, despite not being a sort of a heavier emotional moment in the film. Mm-hmm. MBT, I got to go with Kelly because I don't know that I'm going to get to give it to him again. I know I get to give it to Jakey Poo again, and you know, but I really, really, really think that. He had, listen, we could think of 50 ways this film could have failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, you, you, you and I talked about some here. If it sure. had been a fond of the weight of everything he was trying to accomplish. I think the audacity and sort of youth served him well here because someone a bit older might have thought, oh, I cannot pull this off. There's a, too, much, too many balls in the air here. Mm-hmm. Right? So he really, I got to give it up to him, man. I got to give it to him. Uh, uh, this one, I loved it. Like when it came out, I think I might love it more now. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna score this one really high, man. I, like I don't know if it was I caught. I woke up like two thirty in the morning this morning and watched it, and I was kind of like in that fog. It was a quiet house. The lights were off. Sleepy. So everyone's asleep in suburbia except me. There you go. You're Donnie. And I'm Donnie, right? So I'm gonna give this one an eight point seven five, man. Wow. Okay. I really, really, really was um, impressed with it on a rewatch. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, you and I are just about the exact same down the line here. Really? Uh, yes. Oh, wow. Well, up to a point. Okay. Uh, the make or break for me is yeah, it's that high school intro, the slow mo scene with the Tears for Fears song. It's just it it works so fucking well. Yes. Um. And it's beautiful, and it's just, it's cinema. Should be shown in film class, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, MBT is, yes, it's Kelly. Um, Like you said, it's very rare that we would, uh, you know, going to be able to give it to him too much more. Uh, But, you know, the 
the tricks that he pulls off in this film are fantastic and you know it's just a film that works over and over again in so many different ways uh and yeah like uh like i said like a russian nesting doll yes. or even a blooming onion a uh, there's onion, so yes. many different layers right that's, that's uh right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit lower for, than you are um, true to form I, I was gonna i was gonna go 7.5 on it but after talking with you uh you know over here on this uh i'm gonna bump it up to an eight yeah yeah nice it's eight's no joke man eight's no joke no my score might seem a bit high, but like I said, I think part of it was how impressed I was that it held up. So your score, your score for this thing is chuddy and level for me. Right, but that's fair. But I think my scores partially can be attributed to the fact that I was expecting it to come in around seven point two five seven five. Yeah, I was fully expecting to. Mm-hmm. Um, my listen, I, 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 I do not begrudge you that score. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, very well uh, earned. Hey, for you to give an eight's no joke, man. You're tough but fair. You're handsome but tough but fair. <laughs> so I mean, you know. But yeah, I think I think this film lends itself to good conversation, though, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I couldn't wait to oh, talk and, about and it. With spe- you. And speaking of, uh, and speaking of good conversation, just to to point this one out because I I forgot to mention it before. There's a lot of Michael Dukakis talking. Which movie. is great. Yeah, there's right? the. <laughs> it's like, what yeah. the fuck? Everybody's talking yeah. about Dukakis. Yeah, of course. So, no, it's. Put that out there. It's very funny. And I know Sammy would have loved to have talked about this one, too. Yeah. Uh, Sammy's not on, but Todd, did you want to say hi before we leave? Hi, Todd. Hi, bud. How are you? He said, hey, bud. How are you? Good. Just getting up. Tired? You can go back to sleep, dude. Dad's going to. It's, pan- it's almost pancake time, yeah. Um, okay, so next week, we want to thank Arrow, as always, for sponsoring the show and having the foresight to put a film out that seemed like a bizarre choice for them. But true to form, they knew what they were doing. Um, next week, we are going to get into Toys for Tots again. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting <laughs> an interesting show, to say the least. Um First up is going to be, and I'm trying to find out who picked these films now. Um, so forgive me if I don't mention it now. We'll mention it by... Yeah, you can take some dig in here. Uh, we're going to be doing a Canadian horror film um, that I quite like. And I rewatched around the holidays. It's a very different kind of uh, 80s horror film. Uh, it's Pin. So uh, you've never seen Pin, right? I've never seen Pin. For some reason, I own the novel, uh, but I never read that either. So I'll figure that one out. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, so this one's, uh, this one, like I said, very excited. Um, I think I'm getting closer to the thread. Very excited to talk about that because I think there's a lot to chew on with that film. It's so outside the box as far as um, uh, what we normally see from 80s horror, right? So there's that. And then the other one we're going to do, we're going to get into a world that I think you're more comfortable in than I am. Um, but it's it's still a world that uh, this is a this is a huge, this is sort of the godfather of, dare I say, of this genre. It is C- certainly revolutionary. Yes. Certainly revolutionary. It is Akira. And both of them are from 1988, funny enough. Oh, no way. They're both 88, eh? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Let me just see. I'm in the thread now. So, Ben picked Akira. Uh, and Eric, I believe, picked Pin. Eric S. Oh, yes, yes. I believe so. So, very nice. So, it's going to be a cool episode for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Akira since VHS. Uh, it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. while. For me. Pin I saw much more this this past October. I rewatched it. Um, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, as always, like I said, we wish Sammy could have been on here with us. Uh, we would have ran an hour longer, definitely, because um, we just would have had so much to say. And I know he really had a lot of notes for these uh, films this week. Probably more so for Darko. I, I think Darko probably held up really well for him. Um, can yeah. I watch that? I don't think you can watch it yet, William, in a few years. Um, <laughs> before we go, William, do you want to give us your score? Do you want to give us a little creep show uh, 2 rundown? Okay, so what was your make or break scene? What was the best scene you saw in Creepshow 2? Your favorite scene in the whole three? In all three? Um, when the Woody, like, um... Old, old Chief Woodenhead? Yeah, when he was holding the scalp. Oh, that was pretty cool, right? That was good <sighs> nice. revenge. And what was your MVT, which is most valuable thing? What was the best thing about the whole movie? Maybe the special effects or the music? Probably not the music. The um, acting? What was your... What when you he got the revenge... Oh, so you like to... Oh, that was your favorite? Okay. He's and a wooden head guy. He's a wooden head kind of guy. And what was your score out of 10? Nine and a half. Whoa. Ooh. You're swinging high on that one, eh, buddy? You really <laughs> liked it. Well, William's just getting into the wonderful world of horror, right? So... It's, 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 but it's interesting because it's going to be one of those ones like, you know, the stuff we remember as when we were kids very fondly that we go back and watch and uh, like we're Living Dead Part 2, uh, which doesn't quite hold up, right? So I'd be curious in 20 years how uh, <laughs> Creep Show 2 holds up for William. So because I was around the seven and a half thinking back, but not so much right on a revisit. So, uh, yeah, we got one thing left to say and I'll have William say it as well. William, do you remember what we always say at the end of our show? Okay, so I'm going to say we got one thing left to say and then you got to say that, okay? And as always, there's only one thing left to say. Adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Yeah.